Chapter Three of Juju by Murray Leinster. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Three: Evans' Sortie. We explored the house first and came upon a surprise. The native girl I had seen conducted to the house by the Juju procession two months before crouched in one corner. She was too much frightened to give any coherent account of the other servants leaving. They had simply gone, she said. No one had said anything to her, and she had been left behind. The oxen lay in their stalls, their heads beaten in with blows from a heavy iron bar that lay bent on the ground beside them. Even my own boys had vanished. That struck me most forcibly of all, because I had treated them well, and had thought I could count on as much loyalty from them as any white man can expect from the average native. Mboka's defection really bothered me. I had believed well of him, and was in a way genuinely fond of him. He had gone with the rest, though. The loads of the carriers lay in a huge pile. Small and precious possessions of my boys lay about them. That was perhaps the queerest part of the whole affair. In leaving secretly in the middle of the night, the servants had not stopped to steal, or even to take with them what was their own. They had apparently risen and stolen away in shivering fear. We went back to the house from the servants' quarters, full of rather uneasy speculations. Juju was obviously at the bottom of whatever was happening, and there is no telling what may enter the head of a Juju doctor. Passing through the rear rooms, Evan paused to order the solitary native girl to prepare food for us. We went on to find Alicia and Mrs. Braymore up and curious. They were on the front porch when they heard us, and Alicia came inside to smile at all of us and ask questions. "'Where are all the servants, Evan?' she demanded. "'We had not a drop of water this morning. And what's happened to the native village?' On the way up here we saw lots of villages, but none of them were quite like yours. We looked down at the squalid huts of the village. Not a sign of life could be seen. Not one of the usually innumerable tiny fires of a native village was burning, and the single street was absolutely deserted. We'll take a look at it, said Arthur grimly. I don't like this business. Murray, you'll come? I picked up my rifle and moved forward. As we walked across the clearing before the casa, Arthur turned to me. Don't forget about that big ape, either. He's probably waiting for a chance to drop out of a tree on top of us. It was a pleasant prospect. If we went down the cleared way toward the village, we would be perfect targets for bowmen or spear-throwers from the bush on either side. If we went through the bush, we ran an amazingly good chance of running up against the gorilla and the gorilla had learned cunning, too, and would not expose himself to a shot if he could help it. He would wait patiently until the chance came for him to rush upon us and crack our skulls together without our having time to raise a firearm, or else until he could reach a hairy arm down and seize us. I have seen iron bars bent and twisted by the hands of those big apes. A sudden thought came to me, the iron bar in the stables with which the oxen had been clubbed to death. We made our way cautiously down to the center of the cleared space, searching the bush on either side with our eyes, but affecting an unconcerned air, in case hidden watchers saw us. We came to the village and strolled inside. It was absolutely deserted. Not one man, woman, or child remained within it. Their possessions were undisturbed, save that all their arms were gone but cooking-pots, carved stools, skin robes, ornaments, minor fetishes, children's toys, 
everything else lay as it had last been used by its owners only a few native dogs skulked around the silent huts there was not a single sign that gave a hint of the reason for the mysterious exodus of the natives i've not been out here long said arthur crisply but i've learned that when natives do inexplicable things juju is at the bottom of it what do you say i agree with you i wish i could see some signs though i can read some juju palaver but there isn't a sign no charms no spoor whatever we'll go back to the house and talk it over with evan we started slowly back toward the house i was walking on ahead puzzling over the oddities of the situation and trying to piece together a meaning in it all when arthur stopped short his voice reached me little more than a whisper murray he said sharply that pongo is trailing us i listened but could hear nothing one would hardly expect a white man's ears to detect a gorilla taking special pains to be quiet arthur seemed to hear something however he quietly raised his rifle i followed the direction in which he was pointing but could see nothing he fired a branch swayed slightly where his bullet had grazed it but aside from that there was no sign i didn't see a thing i remarked arthur shook his head uh, maybe nerves he said quietly that damned beast has haunted me but i think i saw it we went on up to the house slowly just before we reached the porch arthur looked at me pitifully i heard it following us all the way he told me the perspiration was standing out on his forehead it is here and it is waiting for a chance to revenge itself on me and the beast has learned cunning we must look out for elisha i nodded evan was waiting for us find anything he called down what did you shoot at the gorilla said arthur in a low tone it's there and it's determined we'd better warn alicia and mrs braymore evan looked dubious did murray see it i shook my head evan frowned thoughtfully arthur old chap it may be just nerves the women have enough to worry them with the way the natives are acting anyway we'll keep a sharp lookout of course i'm going to hunt up those natives though they're your natives i said but i question whether that's a wise move if it's just native foolishness they'll come back if not they're liable to be pretty well reckless they're my natives said evan angrily i don't intend to humor them i'll throw a scare into them that will last them ten years if i know anything of juju what i asked they'll never dare breathe without permission hereafter evan said grimly he seemed to be in a cold fury remembering the abject fear in which his slaves seemed to be all the time i wondered what he might have in store for them i opened my mouth to protest against his trying to look for his natives but stopped that juju house at which my boys had hinted concealed in some hidden clearing near the village might hold a secret by which he controlled them in any event he knew his own natives best we went into the house and sat down to breakfast we must have made a queer sight sitting there before that spotless table our clothing dishevelled and hastily donned our rifles leaning against our chairs neither arthur nor myself could eat more than a little but evan's appetite seemed undiminished the native girl waited on us the lurking panic in her eyes never very far from the surface it seemed nearest when she looked at evan i was most worried about my own boys it was decidedly queer that they had deserted me 
especially in Boca. He had been with me for all of a year, and I had really grown to trust him. He had gone with the others, though, and the very mystery of his disappearance seemed to add somewhat to the menace of the silence that surrounded us. When I thought of it, however, it was no less odd that Evans' overseers had vanished. From the nature of their position, they would be hated by the other and full-blooded natives, and it was singular in the extreme that they had gone with them. Then I remembered a tale I had once heard of a mystic voodoo worship that was spreading secretly over the whole of West Africa. The story ran that an attempt was being made to band all the natives possible together in this voodoo worship, and then at a given signal they were all to rise. The Indian mutiny would be repeated every white man on the west coast would be rushed by the nearest blacks and the dominance of the white race made a thing of the past in africa at any rate i felt cold at the thought that the attempt which i had thought dead these many years might have been secretly and insidiously winning converts all this time and that all the blacks between us and the coast might be risen and only waiting for courage to attack us we were the only whites in a hundred and fifty miles anyway and if the strange behavior of the natives meant mischief we were probably doomed as it was it gave me a sickish feeling to think that the other might be true though that a second mutiny was in progress as if to confirm my belief at just that moment drums began to beat far off in the bush to the south of us they began their monotonous rhythmic rumble boom 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 never a pause never skipping a beat never altering in the slightest the hypnotic muttering we stopped eating and stared at each other the drums throbbed on sullenly far far away evan grew angry at the insolence of his slaves i looked at alicia and made a mental vow that my last cartridge would be saved for her arthur listened with an air of detachment and then went on with his breakfast the first drums had been beating for perhaps fifteen minutes when to the northeast more drums took up the rhythmic pounding evan's eyes narrowed he went to a window and looked out as he moved he passed close to the native girl and she shrank back fearfully while he stared out across the clearing a third set of drums began to beat to the northwest this time we were ringed in evan came to the table with a grim expression on his face the black fools he said furiously they dared not come to me i'll go to them and put a stop to this evan cried alicia frightened you'll stay here with us this is no time for caution said evan grimly if we leave them alone they'll hold a juju palaver until they've gathered nerve to rush us i'll walk in on their council and we'll see what happens i'll go said arthur quickly sensing the psychology of the move evan proposed to make i'd better go it would be suicide alicia exclaimed again one white man among all those blacks they could kill you in an instant that is precisely why they would be afraid to i interposed the mere fact that a white man dared walk into their palaver and order them about would frighten them no negro would dare do it and they would not understand how a white man could it's quite possible that a sheer bluff may win out of course we've got to do something i think i'd better go though my boys are in that crowd and they're rather fond of me i believe 
I'll have some of them halfway with me at the start. Evan shook his head. Your boys are in that crowd, he said curtly, but the very fact that they're fond of you will make them kill you that much quicker. You know natives. Now my natives hate me like poison, and there's not one of them but would kill me like a shot if he dared. They'll be afraid when I drop in on them. I'm the one to go, and I'm going. Besides, I know the local dialect. You don't. You'll hear one set of drums stop in half an hour. He picked up his rifle and went out of the door. Alicia watched him leave, her face utterly pale. "'He's going to his death,' she said in a whisper. "'Stop him! Oh, please stop him!' "'We're all in just as much danger as he is, dear,' said Arthur tenderly. "'He's taking the one chance that may bring us out of this without fighting. He'll go into the middle of that bunch of natives and, by sheer nerve, frighten them into doing as he says.' If all three of us went, we'd be rushed on sight. Alicia's lips trembled, and Arthur tried to comfort her. I went to the door and stood looking after Evan. It was illogical, but with all of us very probably facing death, and certainly a siege, I was struck with a pang of jealousy when I saw Arthur put his arms about Alicia's shoulder to comfort her. Mrs. Braymore was white to the lips, but gamely tried to be casual and cheerful. She came and stood by me as I looked out of the door. Quite frankly, she asked me quietly, what are our chances? I don't know, I told her gloomily. We don't even know what the natives are up to yet. Those drums do not sound well. They may mean anything, and they may mean nothing. Mrs. Braymore looked at me searchingly. Anyone could see that she was frightened, but she was doing her best not to show it. And if they mean anything... There is a Portuguese fort a hundred and fifty miles away, I answered grimly. They might send soldiers to lift the siege on us if they hear about it. I'm assuming we'll be besieged. Things look that way. Evan must have treated his slaves worse than usual. Usually they simply run away. It's not often they try anything of this kind. I don't like the sound of those drums. That means organization and purpose. All I can say is that I hope that Evan succeeds with the natives. Mrs. Braymore blanched a little more, but smiled as bravely as she could. Well, she said quietly, I know Alicia well enough to promise you that we'll be as little of a drawback as possible. If you decide to try anything drastic, such as attempting to escape through the bush, we'll do our best to keep up, and I think both of us are fairly good shots. I'm hoping there'll be no need for anything on that order, I said, with more respect than before in my tone. We'll try to stick it out here. My boys are loyal, I think, at least they've been loyal up till now, and even if we were besieged, one of them will probably take a message to the fort. I had little enough hope of that, heaven knows, but I did not want Mrs. Braymore to worry more than was necessary. She seemed to realize that I was speaking more from my hopes than my beliefs, because she shrugged her shoulders. "'There's really no need to soften things for me,' she said. "'Alicia and I won't—' She stopped and caught her breath. A shot had sounded off in the bush from the direction in which Evan had vanished. A second's interval and another shot. Then there was a horrid outcry and a maniacal shrieking. "'The gorilla!' I snapped, and started down the steps with my rifle at full cock. We heard a second outburst of the same beast-like sounds and a crashing in the bushes. I raised my rifle. A figure showed dimly through the bush. 
I fired vindictively. Evan stumbled and fell in the clearing, just out of the jungle. End of chapter 3